welcome to Two Cents FC. I'm your host, Amobi Okugo, back again with my guy, L. Each week, we'll be talking with individuals from around the soccer world, learning about their stories and getting their unfiltered thoughts and opinions. This week, we're joined by, it's crazy to say, president of Black Players, New England Revs goalkeeper, Earl Edwards Jr. He's like my little bro, someone I've known for quite some time. It's been great to see him uh, grow up and just mature into the young man that he is today. Uh, we're going to be getting to know all about Earl, talking about his career, learning about his off-the-pitch endeavors, and just Earl. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for you guys to know about the Earl that I know. Um, but first and foremost, Earl, how you doing today? I'm good, bro. Thanks for the love. Uh, we do go way, way, way back residency days. And then, uh, you know, even before that, watching you and uh, – you were always kind of tied to uh, Adi back in the day. It was always Adi and Emobi, but that's way back pre-residency days. Um, but yeah, we go way back. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm happy to see what you've done with the, the remainder of your career. And obviously you're on to bigger and better things now, and I'm happy to see that unfold as well. Yeah, most definitely. So here we are with Two Cents. Uh, we get unfiltered thoughts and opinions. I know you're all about that, but before we get into the good stuff, let's get into two truths and a cap. So L, take it away. All right, two truths in the cap. So, Earl, this is a game that Amobi and I play where you'll give us three facts about yourself. Two will be true, one will be a lie, and Amobi and I have to guess what the lie is. So, as we as we've said on previous shows, we're keeping score this year. I think Amobi is up two two nothing on me. So, I got to get on the board. Um, so, whenever you're ready, let's go. All right. So, I'll go with. I'm one of six children. I own four dogs. And I was born in Pennsylvania. Ay, ay, ay. Hmm. Six children? That, that actually... Oh, yeah, because you have... Um... Yeah, I know you have a sister, but I haven't seen any other siblings like on social media or anything. No, I, I'm pretty sure he has older siblings in a blended family too. I, I'm pretty sure I, if I remember. I know you're really close with your sister, uh, Pennsylvania. Nah, you know, uh, for me, I think the lie is the dogs. We only got four dogs. So I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna follow Moby on this one. <clears throat> <laughs> the lie is uh, being born in Pennsylvania. I was born in San Diego. I moved to Pennsylvania when I was like 11 months, though, and lived there for my first eight years and then moved back. But I got four dogs and one of six kids. Golly, I was Damn. hesitant on that Pennsylvania. I knew I should. <laughs> well, uh, it's good. It's good. I'm glad L followed me because uh, <laughs> I'm still up 2 0. <laughs> There you go. There you yeah. go. Yeah, the, the four dogs always throw people. I, I will say I have one. My wife had three when I met her, so it's not on me. <laughs> okay. Wow, so four dogs. Yeah, we had some kids. stumpers this year, though. Uh, I feel this like everyone's it. like, I feel like everyone's like come together and be like, all right, we see what Amobi and L are doing. We're going to come correct with this two truths and a cap. <laughs> Yeah, sure. I thought you were gonna, especially with the San Diego, with the San Diego connection. I thought you would call that one out quick. Yeah, I figure. But anyways, let's get to the good stuff. Obviously, you know, Earl, you've done a lot of great things. But when, how did it all start for you? When did you fall in love with soccer? Yeah, I remember going to like uh, the local school in Pennsylvania. I lived in the Poconos again. My first eight years of my life, um, 
And I remember pulling up to that first practice and falling, falling in love with the game at a young age. Um, I also had older siblings that played. Um, so my oldest brother, he played at Brown University. Um, my middle sister, she's older than me as well. She uh, just played up through high school. And then Jasmine, who's only uh, 13 months older than I am, played at Rutgers University. So I had uh, older siblings I was constantly chasing and trying to uh, compete with. So uh, falling for the game was easy for me. No, I love it. And obviously, I know your, your dad was, you know, kind of a G when it came to sports. Um, you played multiple sports growing up. What was that process like of, you know, choosing soccer at the end of the day? That was tough. That was tough. I, I like basketball so much more. Um, I was just so much better at soccer. <laughs> I was just so much better at soccer. And uh, I was a field player um, up until I was like 12, 12 and a half. Um, and during those times, I was back in the ODP days. Uh, my sister was a center back as well. Um, she just happened to be on the best team in the country, like three years running that never lost. Like she was one of the better players on the team, was getting recruited by everybody, um, doing ODP everything. And I was average is really stretching it as a field player. I was not good. I was not good, but I was a decent basketball player. And then, uh, our keeper quit. I, I put the gloves on and, um, was into an ODP stuff like three to six months later, things kind of picked up quickly for me there. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, that was my, that was my breakthrough for sure. But, uh, yeah, that, that transition was tough. Cause I had to then decide, following my freshman year of high school, if I wanted to go to residency or not knowing that that was, that was going to be it for basketball. But luckily when we got to residency, we were hooping and doing things when we could. So I, I still, I still love the game and play when I get a chance. Yeah. Talk about that. Cause we've had previous guests on the show talk about the importance of, you know, playing multiple sports and how it's helped you uh, develop in soccer. And obviously you did have to make that tough decision. You know, as did I, you know, going to residency and kind of, having the decision forced upon you but mm -hmm. how did you know basketball and I, I think you played a couple other sports as well help you you know transition not only as a soccer player but then as a goalie as well yeah I think basketball in particular was huge especially uh uh for goalkeeping just the lateral movement being in that defensive stance is similar to goalkeeping and um a lot of those attributes translated really quickly um so yeah I really I think growing up and playing multiple, I encourage kids to play multiple sports. I was even talking to, uh, I was talking to Brandon by the uh, last week after one of our games um, team, he plays right back on our team and it, it, they kept hitting these long diags um, that I could tell this team was used to this working out and he kept reading it and picking it off. But the way he was setting his feet and breaking it down and getting there, I, I asked him on the plane afterwards, I was like, what? sport was it that you played growing up that you're able to flip your hips like that and, and track the ball while it's in the air and make a play um he's like that's funny you asked when I was like six to ten years old all I did with my dad I was an outfielder in baseball and he would throw balls over my head and I would have to catch him like that old Willie Mays catch and he's like I think I don't know that four years of doing that at a young age I was like bro I'm telling you if you don't play other sports you can't track the ball the way you're tracking it that's not normal so I had to ask <laughs> and I knew it was something his dad was a football coach too so um, yeah, I could just tell, you know, when you play other sports, it gives you uh, different instincts and abilities that other people don't have. Nah, most definitely. You heard it here first. I, I am uh, someone that agrees with you, and I think it's it's paramount that other other kids or youth kids, you know, mix it up because it all translates over. So for you, you know, I know you're a, a homebody, you're a mama's boy. Talk about the decision <laughs> to make that sacrifice of going to residency early on. 
That was a tough one, man. But you know what happened, actually? So I was going to a pretty difficult uh, private school at the time. Um, and I was missing stuff, whether it was ODP or regional team camps, national team stuff here and there. And you miss three or four days at the school I was at. It was nearly impossible to catch up. Um, like really difficult. This was a, this was a college prep school. Um, and my grades started slipping admittedly. And so it became this decision of like, okay, I either can't be going in with these teams and these programs and focus on school. Or if I want to do both, the best option at that time was to, to, was to go to residency. And for me, I was, I wasn't about to give up that dream of playing with the national team. So, um, pretty simple decision for me once the call came. Um, it was one of those things. I remember hearing about that first intro to residency when you're doing those U13 camps, U14 camps, when there's a hundred people around and, um, you know, a coaching staff comes in and kind of breaks down the concept of residency. You've, it's something you've heard about. You may have had friends that have been in it. Um, they talk about you moving there and you live with each other for a couple of years. You train and play for the world cup. And I remember at the time being 12, 13, like ain't no way I'm leaving my house as a kid <laughs> to go and do this. It didn't even seem like a, like, I remember just thinking the whole concept was like, nah, that's not happening. Um, and even thinking more so that my parents would be like, nah, that's not happening. And then as things unfolded, it was like, hang on a second, this is a, this is a big opportunity. So um, luckily, we're all on the same page and uh, definitely something I don't regret. Nah, most definitely. It's definitely different now with MLS Academy, but talk about your experience at residency. You know, obviously we were there. I don't want to say we was the bullies, you know, but we were, we had a good camaraderie between our age group and your age group. And, uh, you know, it's something I always tell people that ask me, like, I wouldn't have changed this for the world, but for you as a young player and young players now that are looking to, you know, join MLS academies or MLS residency programs, talk about like the first iteration, the ones that we went through. Uh, the first generation of like the residency stuff. Yeah, like, because, you know, residency is no longer anymore, so... Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Talk about I got how you. it was. Yeah. No, I'm with you. The funny thing is, like, even to... I think there was maybe two... At least two more cycles after mine. Maybe three at the most. Um, but even with my cycle, there were guys that were homesick and taken off. Players that were just like, nah, I'd rather stay home and play with my club team. Um, someone like Sebastian Legit just, like, went over and he had signed with West Ham. Guys were able to get deals done at that time. But that was a very rare thing at that time to be signing pro contracts at 14, 15 years old. If I look back, the amount of guys that would have been pro in that program, like, yeah. people didn't look at Americans to sign them at 13, 14, 15, 16, well, 17 years old as they do now. And if people were looking then, I'm like, yo, like, we have so many guys that would have been signed at 14, 15, and who knows where they would have been. But the, the system wasn't in place like it is now. So now, guys, you know, from our time, they went on to college and petered out or whatever. But when you step into a pro environment at 15, 16, um, you, I think a lot of guys would have had a chance to possibly make a breakthrough. But that's – I'm getting a little a little off topic. But the, those hey, residents hey, – you know, You're not getting off topic because I say it all the time. I'm saying, yo, if the amount of – eyeballs that were on now like with some of you guys growing up mm -hmm. yeah a lot of guys would have been signing contracts a lot of guys yeah. i mean yeah. bro i'm telling we went and played when we played uh brazil and that nike friendlies and my yeah. coutinho was on the field neymar was on the field and there's no doubt in my mind stefan jerome was the best player on the field like this yeah. guy was doing it and it's a guy that not people people don't really know him because he didn't he didn't uh quite make that jump at the next level um, you know, but had he been eyes on, like you said, at that time, oh man, this, this man would have been signing for big yeah. money at a young age, but that's just not the way it worked back then. Yeah, exactly. That too, so, that too. So it didn't work like that back then. But 
getting into like the specifics of our cycle it was cool because we came in the 92s. It was always those even years that play in the U-17 World Cup. So uh, the 90s were still there and actually just at the tail end prep for their World Cup um, as the 92s came in for the start of their cycle. Um, and then as that World Cup ended, you had this group, I don't know, 10 to 15 of you that came back to finish a year of school after their World Cup was over. And I, I, looking back, that was probably a unique scenario. I don't know if that happened all the time. Um, yeah, it was unique because uh, Wilmer kind of changed it up. Yeah. So anyway, when we got there, you know, it was the 90s cycle with these 91s that were, you know, and that at that time, being a year younger made a big difference. At year 14, 15 years old, that's a big difference. Um, and then the 92s, we came in to do our thing with some 93s with us. And the 91s just had this like very clear chip on their shoulder as they were trying to break down the guys that were 90s, that they were trying to take their spots and break into the World Cup, um, into the World Cup roster. So these guys had a chip on their shoulder. It was so clear that the, the 91s stuck together and, and brought that fight. And so when the, even when the 92s got there, they had a point to prove, a point to prove of like, it's not the 90s that you guys are looking at that are that you need to worry about competing with. Like the 91s are the ones that we're going to come and, and we want to get into you and, and teach you the ways and, and break you down and make you uh, kind of understand your place. Um, <laughs> and that's where kind of these turf wars came in. There was a little turf, turf field after school. Uh, to the point where we're banging on bus windows, like, to the turf, to the turf, talking trash. Um, we'd go and play these games, and the 90s would have their squad, 91s would have theirs, and the 92s, we would have ours. Uh, it was like first to three, winner stays on. And I'm talking, like, there were fences surrounding this thing. It was, you couldn't tell if it was hockey or soccer at times. Guys were checking. It was full-blown scrapping. It was fun, though. It was fun. It was really, uh, really competitive and, and definitely a time I look back on, and I really enjoyed that. No, most definitely. I think that competitive nature helped us. Uh, and when it comes to, you know, obviously you had your time of residency, you guys, you know, did pretty well at the U-17 World Cup. Talk about how you got from residency to where you are now. Man, that was a journey, man. Uh, yeah, so coming out of residency, I went into college very much so thinking like I was the man, I'm going to go one and done. Um and just thought it would be easy, easy. And I actually reflect on it like going into residency was interesting because, you know, everything's just laid out for you. I went from training and you were probably the same, like growing up on club teams, you tra we trained like Monday, Wednesday, played on the weekend. Like that's how it was for us. Um, so to go from that to training every day, like that was just a, a strange thing to me. And then like training every day and then uh, – you know, with the weights and all the, all the infrastructures there. Um, but, you know, with that, like, again, with all that being there, I didn't build the foundation of, like, this is what it takes. Everything that it took was there, and we had to go through the program. So I left, went to college, and really didn't have any understanding of, like, how to do that on my own without, like, a programs and people doing it and putting that infrastructure in place. And then the, uh, the appeal of, like, the college life, just I got sucked into it. I'm not, and so that's what, and that's what it was. So coming out of residency, like I, I thought I was going to be one and done, thought I was going to be the guy. Brian Rowe was there who obviously went on to have like an unbelievable MLS career. Um, and I'm thinking I should just be playing, not putting the work in things like that. And, um, it took me a couple of years to figure out like, Oh, I'm like, this won't just be handed to me. This isn't going to fall in my lap. And, um, those last three years of my UCLA career is something I could reflect on. I'm really proud of. We, we 
I grinded out some really strong years there and was able to to get drafted and um, ended up redshirting my my first year. So I was there five years, which like again, the plan was to go one and done. Um, but I ended up being there five years. Um, looking back, I I get my degree; it's a blessing for me. And then I move on to to doing things in the league and still living out the dream. So. Um, you know, sometimes things don't always go to plan, but, um, yeah, I, I grinded through it and I'm happy to have gotten to the pro career I've had so far today. No, most definitely. I know like, you know, we've known each other since almost half our lives to this point. And, you know, you have these big plans and like you said, it doesn't always happen the way it's supposed to or the way it's planned, but it happens the way it's supposed to. So to see you now, you know, eight plus years in the league, uh, two Final four appearances uh, is really amazing to see. So what advice would you have for young players, you know, young phenoms, you know, to stay on the path when it may not go your way or when you may face some adversity? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is to have like very clear cut goals for yourself um, on a, on a short term and long term basis. Um, the short term stuff, I think, helps you um, on a day to day, just come with the right focus and intentions for each training each day. Uh, the long-term stuff, I think, is what gets you through those tough times. So when you understand, all right, I have I have goals to make it as a pro. I have goals to make it as a starter. I have goals to make an all-star team, whatever it is. Um, when you have those goals and you're having days like, I just don't feel like getting up the train or my body's not feeling it, I'm a half-asset today or I don't feel like putting in this extra work. Um, to understand, like, look, I laid out this goal for myself. This is how I I decided I was going to achieve that goal. And then at that point, you know, if you're, you're letting yourself down or not, but to understand, lay out those goals and don't lose sight of them. Cause uh, it's, it's a, it's a steady grind. So that day, that day to day work matters and it, it will add up. It's, it's just not losing sight of the goal. No, most definitely. On a, earlier on, you mentioned, you know, your oldest siblings as being a big uh, reason why you followed uh, soccer, but who are some other soccer influences growing up in your life? Yeah, I think, well, the earliest influence, and this is like kind of funny, but like, so my mom um, has always been really into sports. And when Kobe Jones came onto the scene, I remember her being like, yo, there's this young, there's this young black kid. We got to go see him play. We got to go see him play. And I remember seeing him um, when he was playing with the Galaxy. We drove up from San Diego and and watched uh, some like an exhibition game, like, I was young, young. I was like 10 years old, nine years old, something like that. Um, but I knew who Kobe Jones was. And I remember seeing his dreads and I just remember being like, I want to be like that guy. But obviously, <laughs> skill wise, it didn't quite work out that way. But um, he was my first, especially someone that looked and very much so skin tone wise looked similar to me where I was like, damn, that's cool. I haven't seen anyone do it like that, um, especially in America. So uh, he was probably my first um first gravitation towards soccer in terms of identifying with a player. Um, then as I got into goalkeeping, um, very naturally was looking at Tim Howard and things he does and how he plays the game. And um, uh, he was definitely a role model of mine and um, someone I've gotten uh, fortunate enough to meet and play against at some point. And um, yeah, he's another big idol for me. No, I think it's amazing. You talk about like the lesson of exposure, like being able to be exposed to, you know, people that look like us growing up helps you, um, you know, provide inspiration for your career. And obviously, I know we're going to get into it a little bit later, but, you know, your role as president of BCP, um, it just speaks to, you know, almost like the circle of life. Mm. So let's get into, you know, your MLS career, you know, five seasons at UCLA, two final four appearances. I'm just going to go on record to say if 
if Earl did a better job of convincing me to stay one more year, we would have got a national title. Um, yeah. Any Akron people listening, any Maryland people listening, <laughs> uh, whoever else, who do y'all lose to? Uh, that North year we Carolina. lost. Yeah, North Carolina. Yeah, we would have smacked y'all, but Earl didn't do a good job. He's not that great of a recruiter. But anyways, <laughs> you got drafted. Orlando, we, we, we reconvened. Um, talk about, you know, getting drafted to MLS and then obviously, you know, you spent time in Orlando, spent time in DC. Now you're, you know, doing some good work right now in New England. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned during your time in MLS? Yeah, the, uh, the Orlando experience was, was, uh, really important for me. I think coming in, so that was an expansion team. Obviously you were there with me too. And, uh, to go through that experience of an expansion side, I think is really unique. Um, you know, I come in, I understand like, so again, Amobi and I were close. So to know I was going to be playing with him for me, I understood I had someone that I could heavily rely on. Um, someone that I knew I could trust in the locker room would have my back, um, which was huge for me. And we get there and it's funny, like the locker room setup, um, just coming into that building, like you could feel everyone had a little bit of rookie to them because no one knew where anything was. And I remember just being like, I remember walking in because as a rookie, you always have these, I mean, most of the time you have thoughts of like, okay, what does it look like to be a rookie? I'm going to have to help with stuff, get guys things, um, kind of know my place, pick and pick and choose your spots, things like that. But when you walk in and everyone's kind of like, yo, where's this? Where's that? There were times I would know where someone was. I'm telling Moby like, yo, things are over there. So it kind of was a great equalizer in a sense. Um, and then I would just say throughout our our, our first couple years there it was just hard for us to to turn that corner. I mean, Atlanta is a rare a rare occasion where an expansion side comes in and just hits the ground running. And I think more teams are starting to do that now as they as they join the league. But um, that it was tough. It was tough, and we went through some coaching changes while I was there. And um, those are also very uh, strong experiences for me moving forward. Um, having to deal with different coaches that change and, and doing that midseason, um, different, different keepers I was competing with there. Uh, it was a lot. So I think I gained a lot of experiences there, played some MLS games there, and then moved on to D.C. Um, uh, also very pivotal time in my career. Some of that, that first year I come in, it's me, Bill, Bill Amid and Chris Seitz, obviously two goalkeepers that I've had also really good MLS careers, stuff with national team, all that. So two great guys to learn from. And um, going into that second year with DC was when um, the pandemic hit. Um, so having to go through that pandemic and coming back for the Orlando tournament, introducing the BPC to the world um, was all that same year. So a lot of good experiences in DC. And um, I very much so kind of took on a role of helping the club navigate those decisions and things we were going to do from an initiative standpoint. Um, and then, you know, ended up in New England where um, kind of got reconnected in a sense to uh, Bruce being when he, Bruce Arena when he was in L.A. I got to train with them quite a bit. Um, being at UCLA, I would go down and train with the Galaxy almost every year that I was in college. And those time periods that were permitted, I would go down there and train with them. So a little bit of a reunion with him um, to reconnect here in New England. And um, I've been enjoying my experience here and, and finally getting some games as well. No, most definitely. Congrats, man. You're starting the season off strong. Obviously, unfortunate yeah, sure. CONCACAF uh, Champions League, but uh, it's great to see you, you know, playing and doing well. When it comes to, you know, the BCP, the Black Players for Change, you know, talk about that process. I know growing up, you've always been outspoken on different issues. Um, you know, you're probably second 
when it comes to the debate or top three. Uh, but talk about this process when it comes to, you know, you mentioned the bubble in Orlando. Um, you mentioned uh, some of the things that you have to do for your time from your time at DC, but also, you know, being recently elected as president. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was a lot that kind of went into it. It's black history in general, something I've been passionate about. I made it a point to study it at UCLA and um, really tried to learn our, our history and our experiences in depth um, and was able to do that. So then moving on from there and, and getting the opportunity to speak up on topics of the sort, um, to your point, I never hesitated to do so, but with the understanding of uh, and the desire to educate um, and then on the flip side, learn as well. Um, and I think with that, and I, I uh, mentioned this a lot when I get the chance to, these, these just genuine conversations I get to have with people where I can provide some education in different, different areas, but also learn um, different perspectives. Because I think a lot of times um, we talk about the black experience, um, it's lost on not just myself, but black people in general, that it's really hard for other people to understand our experience. They're not going through it the way we are and to, to also um, um, maintain that thought process as you're uh, trying to navigate those conversations. Um, and I think it just helps me control my emotions and not get frustrated when someone doesn't understand either what I'm talking about, what we're going through or a specific scenario as to why that's um, difficult for us. Um, but understanding that people have different backgrounds, perspectives, life, life experiences that would lead them to not have that understanding. And you're, that is part of the education and keeping your patience and um, emotional control to, to bridge that gap and um, to build that empathy for one another. Um, yeah, but with that, as, as things unrolled and we got into um, 2020 and, um, you know, we had Ahmaud Arbery and um, George Floyd and others that were being murdered at an alarming rate. Um, you know, we felt as black players in this league that it was time to do something, something substantial. And a bunch of us came together and that unrolled into being all the black players and staff included and uh, wanting to do a, a peaceful demonstration at um, at the Orlando, back, Orlando MLS's back tournament. And uh, fortunately, the league was willing to work with us on that as well. And um, to introduce ourselves to the world in that sense was... Um, a very strong starting point for us. And we wanted to make sure that we were going to create lasting change and have a lasting impact and, and, and continue to make an impact in our league and local communities. And I feel, you know, almost two years in that we've been able to do that. Not most definitely. So talk about, you know, being uh, elected and promoted as president, like how did that come about? Um, is this something that you sought after or, you know, just due to the contributions that you have already been committed? Um, uh, I think I think it was more so the latter. Um, I, I always was fairly outspoken when we would have our bigger Zoom meeting calls. Um, again, it's a topic I'm very passionate about, um, and, and I enjoy sharing my knowledge on it as well. And um, I think the things I was just doing along with the with the group, and then we ended up electing board members initially, and there was 12 of us that were elected to, the, to those positions. And then from there, uh, decided that um, it, was, it was time to evolve as an organization and have these um, these um, different roles. And so as that came about, the 12 of us were, were voting on that. I threw my name into the hat. I very much so uh, wanted to be president of our organization and um, trusted that if the group voted that way, that, um, you know, that that would be uh, something I could take on. And uh, when, when the vote fell that way, it was something that I, 
you know, in terms of fulfillment in my career, you know, nothing on the soccer side of things is touching that in terms of fulfillment. That was something that, you know, I had siblings and family calling me. I was calling people and um, you talk about humbling. That was a, that was an incredible experience to, to be voted and elected by my peers to such a position um, was amazing and something that I truly feel is an honor. Oh, most definitely. And congratulations. Uh, what are some initiatives that you guys have, you know, in store uh, this year that you can and are willing to share? Yeah, I appreciate that last tidbit because <laughs> um, <laughs> it is tough. You know, we constantly have um, incredible organizations reaching out to, to work with us and some of that stuff is, is ongoing and we can't discuss it. And um, on the flip side there, we have partners that have been with us um, kind of from the start and between uh, U.S. Soccer Foundation and Musco Lighting. Um, they came together and helped us um, build these mini pitches that we're con continuing to roll out. Um, we've brought in the Black Women's Players Collective to, to come on board with that as well. And now it's kind of a joint, a joint project there. And, um, you know, we, each mini pitch that we open up, there's sometimes a different organization that pops in like, hey, we want to be a part of this. We want to be a part of this. How can we do that? And um, we're very much so conscious of the fact that we don't want to be doing um, one-off partnership things just for one specific thing. If we're going to work together, let's work together long-term. If you're, if, if this is a fight you're interested in, this is how our organization operates. And anyone that reaches out to us, we make it clear like, Hey, we want to work together for years to come not to be doing one-off stuff. So, um, us soccer foundation and Musco lighting, I give them a ton of credit for, for taking that and running with it and, and granting us, um, the access to create so many mini pitches. And I know next month we have, um, two coming out next month. And then um, I, I would say in terms of initiatives to look out for throughout the year, um, it's more so key dates that I'll throw at you. And you can look back at last year at some of the stuff we did and um, kind of following along those lines. But Juneteenth is a big one for us. Um, and I, I will say um, Rodney Knox, our, our director of uh, communications, pointed out that we have a really unique opportunity where um, we're the only, well, baseball maybe but during that time is is one of the major sports in play um willing to take a stance on things like this and and the league is willing to work with us if you look last year we we had a great jersey collaboration um so things along those lines but juneteenth is something that we really want to utilize that holiday to spread awareness and um do what we can to drive change there and then uh you know just the other key dates throughout the year um whether that's the mls all-star we want to do things around that and we had a great panel last year around an mls all-star and um, toward the end of the year, MLS Cup and, and the World Cup. There's different things um, that we want to be doing around these key dates in the soccer world, um, at least in America, where um, we can, you know, make some noise and, and drive awareness and some change and, and do what we can to continue to push the needle. Yeah, that's what it's all about. You know, growing up, One thing. Uh, were, were there any instances of uh, things that you had to go through from a you know, racial perspective that, you know, motivated you? Uh, you know, that's, it's, that's an interesting question. So for me, um, and I do think this helped me step into the position I am today. Um, so growing up, I, playing basketball, um, I was, I mean, we had one white guy on our team, maybe two, um, and I was fairly light skinned. So I wasn't quite one of the brothers, but I wasn't one of the white boys. So I was in this weird limbo. Um, and then in the soccer world, um, I was amongst um, mostly Mexican players being in San Diego um, and white players. And we had one other black guy on our team growing up. Um, so I never really meshed fully with either group. Um, and 
felt that, but was able to navigate it. And then as I've gotten older, um, I've taken a pride in, um, you know, I think I, I, I have this past be to being fair skin, um, where people, I think more than anything, assume I'm Latin or white or whatever it is. Um, but that past very much so as I've seen in my, my experiences allows me into to rooms or conversations or things that someone that's a darker skin tone, I would see be treated differently or not let into those same scenarios. And, um, you know, I think I've very consciously understood that I get this past due to my skin tone. And if that's the, the privilege I have to step into rooms and, um, address people and be president of an organization and, um, humanize us, so to speak as black people, it's, it's something that, um, I don't take lightly. And I think it's, I almost look at it as a, as a duty to bridge that gap. And, um, it's why I'm so honored to lead our organization and do what I do. But, um, yeah, race is something that's been an interesting one for me to navigate, but I think the different experiences I've I've had have led to, have led me to where I am today. No, most definitely. That's an interesting take in the sense of, you know, so say they assume you're something else. And then once you expose that you are, how, how, how did that, how did that conversation kind of go? They're like, oh, wait. Right. Yeah, yeah, and that's funny because it is like, oh, you're white and black. And um, I remember even having, like, I don't know if you remember OC, um, Oquano, he was in residency with us. Yeah. And he saw my parents for the first time. And uh, my dad's black, my mom's white. And uh, I guess his experience with uh, mixed kids at the time and his peers were like both parents were mixed. So – I, he saw my parents for the first time and was like blown away. And he said, was another black guy on the team. And I remember being like, why, why does that catch you off guard? But it was one of those things where people just couldn't quite seem to figure out my background. And um, as it was exposed, I've never even really thought about how people looked at me differently, but there always was a reaction now that I look back on it. And um, I'm going to have to take time to reflect on that a little bit, but I do think, um, yeah, maybe there was this bit of a surprise that I happened to be black and for whatever reason, um, cause I think it was, it's easier for people to, to think that I'm white, but black is a difficult, more difficult concept, I guess. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the reaction, where it stemmed from, but, um, you know, I was, it was definitely something I took tremendous pride in. Uh, I really liked claiming that I'm black and being able to say that and tell people that, um, yeah, it's, it's something I, like I said, I've taken pride in and uh, it's an interesting question for sure. No, well, thank you. Because like, like you said, it, when it comes to race, you know, it's important not only to voice your opinion, but to hear others as well. And, you know, when you just assume, uh, I think that's when a lot of mistakes happen. So, you know, what you're doing with, you know, BCP and, you know, all the other players involved, it's, it's really amazing to, you know, have these conversations and not only have these conversations and do these fluff pieces like some other organizations are doing, but actually do action and impact and what you guys are doing is amazing. So, you know, kudos to you and uh, we'll be supporting because uh, apparently you forgot my number because some of these media <laughs> things they be talking about, <laughs> you know, two cents over here, we can make we can make some stuff work. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I definitely didn't lose your number, but we'll definitely we got to get y'all in the loop more. I, I, I've, uh, I've always seen what you guys do. I love your work, obviously. And obviously, I think you guys um, put on for the culture in a way that I haven't seen before, especially in this space. So, you know, I'm seeing things like uh, uh, Derek Etienne rating gritties and things like that. I'm like, okay, this is definitely putting on for the culture. So uh, I'll definitely, I definitely got to link y'all more often. Appreciate it. Yeah, you know, tap in with us. <laughs> 
okay. Uh, so what, 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 what advice would you have for, you know, someone to go looking to go pro, you know, you've had a unique experience, young phenom, you know, top school, but, you know, as someone of color, you know, we're starting to see more of us in the league, you know, we're starting to see different pathways, but what advice would you have? Yeah, I think the biggest one, and I think we've touched on it a bit since we've been here is, is finding uh, proper mentors. Um, and this isn't, obviously we're on the show together. I'm not just trying to gas you up, but you're, you're someone that I've looked up to Mobs, and you've always carried yourself the right way on and off the field. And, and I'm, this is a back in the residency days, I looked up to you and then um, throughout your career as well, we've, we have kept in touch here and there. And um, again, you've played a pivotal role in my career, but across the board, I can think of guys in every locker room that I had that looked like me that I could reach out to. And um, they understand the experiences that I'm going through as a black player, whether uh, I'm trying to think back in Orlando, you know, I had Kevin Alston there, him and I were really tight. Kano Smith happened to be a uh, assistant with the women's team, but he was in the same building. Um, so those two, I, I relied on heavily having tremendous careers. And then I moved on to, uh, to DC from there, having someone like Bill Amid. Um, obviously we were playing the same position, but he, he took me in like a little brother and I've been tight to him from the jump and, and we go way back. And obviously his involvement with EPC has been tremendous and him and I had a great relationship there. And then I moved on here and fortunate enough now, I mean, I got here, Andrew Farrell is a hell of a role model. Um, Shawi Joseph's still in the building. Josie's here now. Um, and seeing a lot of young black guys coming up, uh, at least in our squad as well. So it's just cool to see um how the game is evolving in that sense but i think uh, again to reiterate finding mentors that look like you that will have similar experiences um quincy ameriqua is a, a massive one for me i think he's one and if you look at him specifically and, and do your research he's trying to give this stuff out he's trying to be this mentor for for young athletes and i encourage guys to 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 seek out quincy as much as they can um young athletes across the board but someone that looks like me as well and um, when I talk about mentor, I don't know if I could put anyone above him in my life. He, he's, uh, and I voice this to people a lot. Quincy changed my life with the mental, mental strength training that we've done. Um, and, uh, yeah, find guys like that, find guys that, that are doing what you're striving to do, um, and trust them. No, that's important information. A quick shout out to new England. We all come in for Columbus for, you know, black player <laughs> FC, you know, you guys got, you guys got a little bit of a squad over there in new England. So, <laughs> for, for respect to you, but you mentioned Quincy, and Quincy's someone I, I, you know, I respect. You know, fellow Nigerian, someone that's doing it the right way, on and off the field. You're head of strategic partnerships for Perfect Soccer. Talk about your role there, and you know some of the things that you guys got cooking up. Yeah, so I came on with them in 20, 2019. Um, you know, Quincy was would be in the locker room. He was talking about being a mental strength coach. Um, I'm thinking this is a little, this guy a little crazy, a little self-proclaimed. Yeah. Doing all this. I'm like, yo man, like, and just being a, honestly, just a really confident brother that I haven't seen guys act like that in this league. And I'm looking at this guy like, yo, you're a little out of pocket. Like what's going on. And, um, as I start hearing his messaging over and over to guys in the locker room, I'm like, wait, hang on a second. I think everyone in this locker room is benefiting in a way that we, if you're not consciously thinking about it, you're not even seeing it. Um, but he would just have these conversations with different guys talking about 
anything in life, financial, family, mentality, on the field, off the field. And no matter what the sector was, I'm like, yo, this guy's got the answers. And it was it was highly intelligent, thoughtful conversations where he's learning about you in the process and helping you through it. And, um, you know, eventually um, I was like, yo, I, uh, I'm, I'm fully bought in. Like whatever programs you have, mental strength, whatever it is, let's work together. Um, it kind of came out of his mental strength training. That was about a year and change of work. Um, where we then collaborated and decided I, I should come on with Perfect Soccer. And um, we did some different things, just one ironing out what the mental strength training is and looks like, um, having kind of his claim, being the at the time only player to have like kind of come out the other side of it. Um, and then, uh, you know, tightening things up like that. And, but we went on to go to like CES, the, the global tech convention in Vegas. I know you're aware of Moog. Um, and then, uh, we want to do things like that networking wise and just, you know, ironing out, uh, different networking strategies and, um, connecting with different organizations and people that we could po possibly partner with. Um, I think the biggest things that we came together on was really navigating, um, those, those strategic conversations, those negotiations, so to speak. Um, and, uh, what we were able to create and develop over that time, um, was amazing. And I think more so now, like, uh, I'm more of a, a distant connect, but I still work with him very much so directly on a lot of the stuff that, um, that he put me through and that mental strength training stuff. And I, I'm telling you in terms of, uh, being a better father, husband, soccer player, all of it, um, it's had a tremendous impact on my life. So, um, anyone that's, that's tuning into this one, I check out what Quincy America was on to. That's for sure. No, most definitely. And we've had Quincy on the show, someone that, you know, is highly respected. You know, sometimes you got to put a timer on him because you can go down the rabbit hole <laughs> in conversation. But, yeah, you know, how much time do you have? But I will say, and I will say on the flip side, it was a uh, short-term loss for long-term benefit. But the, uh, right. the first year working with him, he was my locker mate. I was coming home. I could have been home from trainings. By two o'clock, the late I was coming home three, four o'clock. Wifey, <laughs> mad, mad. And I was explaining to her, I was like, "Look, I know I'm coming home late, um, but what I'm learning from this guy, I genuinely believe, is going to change my life um, and will benefit us moving forward in the long term." Like, I know this sucks right now, but I don't feel, based on what we're talking about and what he's providing me and addressing things in my life that I can just go home and not take this in. I think that's detrimental for us. And um, again, he was that important to me, but yeah, that man could talk, but it's worth it if you got time. Nah, most definitely. And especially, you know, you talk about, it's an investment in yourself. You know, some guys, yeah. they get massages back to back just to avoid going home. So for you, mm -hmm. you know, you're doing it for the benefit of not only yourself, but your family as well. Very um, much so. You, you know, you got a good head on your shoulders. Obviously, that's why, you know, we get along so well. What are some of the aspirations you have when you're done playing, I know you're a goalie, you play forever, but that time will come at some point. What are some mm -hmm. of your aspirations uh, post soccer? Um, that's a good question. You know, there's things that I look at personally in terms of like I wanted to, I want to make sure I'm still in a field where I can uh, have an impact on social justice. Um, what that looks like, I'm not exactly sure right now. Um, uh, in the meantime, I'm really enjoying the role I have with the BPC and building those connections and um, not only guiding our organization or help lead, lead that, but building personal connections as well. And um, we're, we will see where some of that stuff leads to post-career. But outside of that, um, you know, I think 
my very first thoughts, not being, uh, not thinking about just myself, which is easy to do as a pro athlete. You know, I think families and uh, specifically significant others sacrifice a lot for us to be able to do this. Um, my wife has owned um, speech therapist practices um, uh, for pediatrics, and that's something that sh- that's her passion and something she wants to do. And um, it's definitely something as I retire, I want to look at how can we do that for her and and get into, um, you know, her being able to have her own franchises at some point. And um, I think that'll be the main focus as my career wraps up to be a little unselfish and give back a little bit and then uh, see where the ball rolls from there. Man, Valentine's Day is over, but look at you still. <laughs> love it. Love it. I'm trying to take uh, notes from you, man. <laughs> uh, All right, cool. So amazing. let's jump into yeah, some rapid into fire some questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some serious stuff. This um, rapid fire? Yeah, rapid fire. Um, first up, so what's one interesting fact about yourself that most people don't know? One interesting fact? Hmm. That's a good question. One interesting fact, one interesting fact. I studied African-American history at UCLA. Okay. Hey, and you yes. fall into that role perfectly as well. Appreciate it. Uh, let's see. So what's on your pre-match playlist? What do, you, what do you listen to to get you hyped for the game? That varies based on my mood, honestly. Um, Super Gremlins, my go-to this year, though. I, I got that one. And then uh, Farrell loves uh, Jack Harlow, so we hear that in the locker room a lot. And I, I give him a hard okay. time, but I honestly, I don't mind it. It's not bad. Okay, so Farrell's running the, the ox in the, in the yeah, locker room? Yeah, he's got the ox in the locker room. And, and every day in the gym, all that, he's got it. <laughs> all right, bet. Uh, what's your favorite off-work activity? Favorite off-work activity has got to be hanging out with the kids, man. This age, they're... Uh, they're they're little but they're my daughter's now two and a half coming up on three um and running around you know seeing her coming home from training or after a game there's there's nothing like that that feeling of of seeing your kid run up to and giving them a hug and um yeah spending time with my kids is is definitely number one up there yeah definitely cherish that because they get old quick man yeah i see it all right so what's the first thing you do when you move to a new city or team so you've You've played for a couple teams, so mm-hmm. obviously you've had to move with that. So besides finding a place to live, like what's the yeah. first thing you do? When you besides finding a place to live, um, yeah, my wife and I will try to one while we're looking for a place to live, we'll settle down, find it, um, then immediately it's just trying to see kind of what the what the area is about. If there's restaurants to go to, things like that. I do think uh, you know with dogs and kids, you, you you get tied down a little bit, so it's not so much going out and having a crazy time, but more so just where mm-hmm. can we get a nice dinner and, and get a babysitter every now and then and just get, have a nice date night. So we're not too far from Providence down here. And actually we're going to do some Friday night. So there's, it's a real, uh, real foodie town, Providence. So a nice little restaurant spot we're going to hit on Friday. Okay. Dope. Dope. So speaking of that, um, what's your favorite away city? Favorite away city? Oh, that's yeah. a good one. Uh, LA's up there just because it's LA. It's close to home too. Um, but Jersey's a big one. So playing Red Bull is cool just because I have a lot of fam- all my families for the most part. I my brother's in Northern California. My dad is in San Diego. Um, everyone else is Jersey and New York. So 
uh, being back out east there and getting to see family, that's that's a big one for me too. Okay, dope. So speaking of Jersey, um, you know, we've we talked about hotbeds on this show, San Diego, um, Sacramento, Texas, DMV. Um, who's on your let's let's go San Diego, Moby? Yeah, we'll go San Diego. We'll San Diego. You grew, okay. grew up in San Diego, like actually All right, so like who's... legit close out there. <laughs> All right, so who's on your San Diego five aside? Five aside? Yeah. All right. Well, top like three, I'm not even hesitating. Frankie Hayda, Sharondolo, and Eric Avila. Those that's my guy. Oh, yeah. That's a good, that's uh, a good, that's a good that squad. <laughs> Go at those three. Uh I'll play in goal, so that's four. I need a fifth. Hmm. Can I, can I claim the Bowen the Bowen brothers? No, they ain't, they ain't San Diego. <laughs> they weren't that far north, though. <laughs> we talking San Diego proper. All right, uh, Areola. Edder is not San Diego. No, not Edder. Not Edder. Uh, oh, Paul. 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 Okay. Okay. Areola Fair enough. San Diego. Yeah, yeah. Dang, you, uh, I'll give you that. You got a fit squad. <laughs> <laughs> you got a fit squad. That's solid. Oh, okay. All right. Um, last one. Your favorite off season spot. Uh to hang out. We go back to we go back to Florida. Uh so my wife and I met in Orlando when I was down there. Um probably end up settling down somewhere near there when, when it's all said and done. So uh we do what we can to get back there. And now that the kids are growing up, it's like we gotta get to Disney now and daughter loves it so uh it adds to it that it's down there but we like to go that that definitely feels like home for us and and where we'll like to end up okay oh, nice, such nice. a family man you gotta love it <laughs> uh well you running from it <laughs> this, hey this yeah. show is not about me it's about our guests <laughs> uh all right, so this is a part of the show where we'll typically get into trending topics, but we're going to switch it up a little bit this week. Um, since Moby and Earl like to debate on various topics, we're going to go going to get into a little debate session here. So um, first one, first topic we're going to debate, what's the better hotbed for soccer talent? Is it Sacramento or San Diego? Moby, I'll let you go first. Uh, it's clearly Sacramento. Yeah. I feel like it could be San Diego, but they don't take advantage of their resources uh, as well as they should. You got two of the biggest club teams, uh, Surf and Nomads, and a lot of wasted talent has come out of there. Uh, Sacramento, on the other hand, we have an expanded region, uh, growing community, a lot of talent, both men and women. Uh, and it's only going to continue to grow. Obviously, we could be better. Um, some of the people in charge need to go. That's another topic for another day. But from a hotbed talent, youth talent, youth clubs, Sacramento got it for sure. Yeah, I don't know. It's honestly it's tough to say right now. It's tough to say now with the uh with the academies and all that. Um in <laughs> this expanded region thing, you what you talking about? You expanding into San Francisco and getting no, no, from no, other No, 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 no. I'm just saying Sacramento, Elk Grove, uh, Roseville, Davis, like Sacramento region, you know. Same umbrella. Yeah. Okay. We're not, going, we're not, we're not doing uh we're not doing uh uh San Fran now. 
Yeah. All right. Well, I'll look back at on our days, and maybe it was different with the '91s, but at least then it was cool because we had the straight up competitions between Cal North and Cal South ODP, and we would yeah. square up in USC. Uh, and I don't know about the track record for you guys, but it was Cal South ODP <laughs> ran, that, <laughs> ran that, and it was never close. And I don't remember hearing much about the '91s being different. I just feel like it was known Cal South ODP is better than Cal so, North. See, see what I mean? He's using Cal South as a whole region where you have LA talent. <laughs> LA is different from San Diego. I'm talking about Sacramento versus San Diego, and now uh, we smacked uh, Cal South. The only, the only time we didn't smack Cal South was when we played club teams, like uh, Samba and like them. But other yeah, than that, with ODP. yeah, when it was ODP, Not yeah, experience. we smacked them. No, I would say, I would say, going back, like the pet, like the history of Nomads. I don't know if you guys have a club like that. Nah, nah, there's no. Yeah, club you know like what I'm saying, like. Yeah. And I and I I mean I think part of that is just I mean Derek Armstrong getting there and establishing a club in the U.S. like early I think it was yeah. one of the few clubs that had credibility at a time like that and there was a ton of talent and a lot of Latin specifically Mexican influence in the area that he was able to pull together um, and we had some really really good teams I think to your point resources wise you know we could have had more guys pan out either collegiately or professionally. And I think that is, that's the case now. You're seeing more and more guys um, from a lot of cities, but I'm looking at San Diego and I have old club coaches that have gone on to other clubs in San Diego. And you're seeing a lot of guys get division one stuff going or pro stuff going at a younger age. And uh, I think to your point, getting those resources in place, I think both both spots have a lot of talent. I just think historically, I think we got y'all. You think uh, San Diego does well if they get an MLS squad? That's tough, man. I I do. I do think they will do well because of the just past experiences of dealing with so many different pro teams and getting it right and what does getting it right look like and then looking at all the success other uh, expansion teams are having in this league. I think they're coming in at a time where it's like the blueprint is there plus the experiences just as a city that they've had with different franchises where it's like, look, we should get this right. And I think that we're capable and uh, there's a lot of passion for the sport in the city. And I, I think when it comes together, it'll be big. All right, cool. Yeah. What, what we got next? Okay, yeah, next debate topic. Earl's probably one of the top five debaters I've ever faced. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we always get into it. I appreciate that. That's what I'm telling you. You just start talking louder, talking so the other person can't respond. That's how you try to win your arguments. <laughs> Never that. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Next topic: 91s versus 92s. So first, you guys are gonna pick your father side from your year, mm. and then give an unbiased opinion on who's gonna win, who who will win a matchup. So I'm gonna let you go first as an elder statesman. All right. Perfect. Earl. So we going strictly residency squad or like just general? Let's go residency squad, and we, like we can't be in. Well, I wouldn't put myself in it anyway. But you could put yourself in yours. That makes sense. But go ahead. How many uh, are we going? You could do five plus goalie since you're okay. Goalie. All right, so McMath for sure. Um, residency squad. All right, Kofi for sure. Um, me. Jose Altamirano, Edder. Dang, Jose Altamirano. <laughs> you throw it yeah. way back. And this is what we talk about when we have talent that 
I don't want to say never panned out, but just didn't have the resources in place. Because yeah. closing out tomorrow, we should have at least three caps. What uh, bro? San Diego. San Diego. Yeah, San Diego talent. SDSU too. Diego. Yeah. Wonder what he's doing. Someone find out what he's up to. Uh, yeah, for real. So I got Edder, Jose Altamirano, uh, me, Kofi, and Trey for turf. I turf for you. Got to have my guy Trey. Yeah, <laughs> bet that. I thought you were either. Uh, it was between the three, Trey, Nick, or Galay. I thought it was between yeah. those three for sure. Yeah, Galay's uh, my boy, but you know, you know, he's always prone for a mistake or two. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, <laughs> when we had the turf is serious you know people, people, people uh, fight over the turf people fight over the turf uh all right so 92s i'm gonna go zach harold stefan jerome joe jow <laughs> shout out joe jow this is joe jow is probably one of the most voted guys on a five-a-side squad from the R2 yeah, family. Yeah, that man that man will go buy you in a phone booth. Um <laughs> <laughs> let me think. Who else is out there? Um what did I say? So I got Zach, Stefan, Joe. Let's see, let's see. Sebastian Legit. He actually didn't come into residency. I can't count. No, that. we'll count him. We'll count him. Because I was gonna we'll say great. So yeah, we'll count that. Okay. So that's four. Um, I need one more. Damn, that's looking squad. Yeah, we're going like from that residency time, right? Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I'm, yeah I'm if you said what now, you gotta go, Carlos Carlos Martinez. Another baller that unfortunately didn't make it. Bro, yeah, I like that squad. That boy was hot. That boy was yeah. hot. Him, Joe, and Steph were all getting serious, serious looks following that that friendly. Yeah. As serious as it got then, anyway. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. who's, who stays on? Who's winning? I think we got you still by experience. You know, <laughs> when it when it used to get like when the ninety twos were like because they were a really talented group, and we're sometimes good. they would like show out. You know, sometimes good. you gotta go back to the drawing board. Bow. Yeah, bro. Y'all <laughs> get were tough nasty. on them. Y'all were yeah. nasty. Like, bro, you know who you sleeping on in terms of five aside, bro. Maybe the best out there, actually, two guys. But Scott Caldwell was nasty on the turf. Scotty, Scotty's one of the best players I've ever played with. Smart, oh, smart as hell. for sure. But, but this man, because bro, it was physical on the turf. You come out here yeah. to fight, excuse me, Scotty. Like, time you thinking like, bro, you couldn't even get close to the man. One, two touch, you couldn't even get close. <laughs> um, he was so frustrating. Him and uh, Zarek would play with y'all every now and then, and the two of yeah. them would just kill you with the brains. They were, they were <laughs> nice. Yeah, but I figured you were gonna go with the athletic squad, and uh, you know, I gotta get my dogs in there, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Scotty, nah, Scotty's I the one say, we had some, we had some solid. About, I like, I hate to say it, the '90s. Whether they were playing the '91s or '92s, were catching work. <laughs> they were catching work. It always, came, <laughs> it always came down to the '91s and '92s. And also, like, I for whatever reason, I mean, the '90s, they were there for their World Cup, came back, whatever. The '91s, yeah. just again, they had that chip on their shoulders still of like, nah, we're here to prove something. And you could tell the '90s yeah. were like, whatever, we're here to finish school, whatever. And these guys. Moby Galley, all these guys would just be coming for our necks all the time. But I do think it was it was good for us. It was good experiences. But um, Most yeah, iron. that's a coin toss. That's a coin toss. Okay. Okay. So last one. Um, this one is best basketball players of all time, but I'm going to mix it up a little bit. Give me your, your all-time starting five. 
Ooh, thank you. Oh man, I need like a I need like a pen and paper. You going first? <laughs> nah, you can do the honors because you swore you were the best basketball pl- soccer <laughs> player turned basketball player turned soccer player for some odd reason. <laughs> this man swore. <laughs> but you didn't play with this guy, this guy. Oh, I could have been to the league. Like, nah. Dude, okay. Listen, honestly though, like you were a decent defender. <laughs> <laughs> but like, Bro, I don't even I don't even know if you'd probably make I don't, I don't even know if you'd make all-time MLS basketball players. Bro, reflecting on it, I don't know if I would either, but I know you wouldn't. First. Of all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. No, you wouldn't. And second of all, bro, I'm telling you, like, all right, you like to claim like you had clams, you call yourself the glove and stuff. Like you weren't all that, but you were a decent defender. You were above average. On the flip side, bro. You got no offense whatsoever. Let's be honest. I'm John Rondo. Oh, you, I score when needed. You got no no jumper. No, I score, no jumper. I score, score, right. score when needed. That's fine. Mm, I, I don't know if I can give you facilitator. I'm just saying. The <laughs> offensive end of the court was. Set this up. Okay, but five, five, uh, uh, five aside, let's see. I'm going Shaq and Kobe. Shaq and Kobe, easy. Uh, LeBron, Steph. And like you want to say MJ because of that competitiveness, but KD lethal. I'm going with KD. Really? Wait, yeah. real quick. Who, Shaq, Kobe, LeBron, Steph, KD. Okay, so you think LeBron's better than MJ? I do. I do. I I think like so for me like. If it comes down to, like, it's going to be, for me, I'd have to paint a unique scenario where I'm like, I would choose MJ in that scenario. If I'm starting a franchise and I'm building around somebody, like, that's a no-brainer to me. It's a no-brainer. It's not even close. Just not in, like, people really like to do this, like, one, one-on-one comparison, and I get that. But if you're starting a franchise right now, like, and they're both in their prime, it didn't make any sense to me to not take the guy that's the most well-rounded basketball player you've ever seen in, in your life. It just, yeah, you can't justify that okay. to me. <laughs> Especially yeah, since okay. he already has two guards, so putting LeBron could play, like, power forward. Then you got oh, and, yeah, small. that five, that five is untouchable. Yeah. That's a that's a crazy five. That's I don't even know what you're supposed to yeah. do against that. Yeah. So for the sake of the argument, to pick a basketball five to beat your five, um, yeah. I don't know why Magic. I go Magic. I go MJ. I go LeBron. I go Hakeem. Because Hakeem was giving Shaq fits, hmm. um, and I go He's Nigerian brother. Yeah, Nigerian brother, and I gotta go fundamental Tim. Tim, Timmy, Timmy. Yeah. So yeah. You're, so wait, say, so wait, say that again. You said you said Magic. So Magic, Magic, uh, MJ, LeBron, Tim Duncan, Hakeem. Okay, so you, you got you got Magic and you got Magic and MJ playing guard. Yeah. In the scenario, okay. Akeem, like, he'll, he'll get his a little bit. He also going to end up in the damn basket. Well, you're going to get bullied. Yeah, Shaq going to have his nuts on his face. <laughs> but that was anybody. That's like, for me, <laughs> when you talk about, like, dominant, Shaq did that to anybody. Like, I, I'm i upset. I watched, him play, I watched him play a good amount. But, man, I would pay 
dollars to see Shaq in his prime, like at this age, and be able to really appreciate it. Because I was a kid yeah. when he was doing that, and like I was like, oh yeah, that's cool. But I didn't understand this man. He was a man amongst boys in a league where like everyone's big, and this man just yeah. bullied people. You talk about dominant, like yeah, you can't yeah. stop that. A force, a force. Shit. Shaq said it himself. Hakeem was the only one that gave him fits like that. So yeah, yeah, and just was like he wasn't gonna match him with the physicality like that. But yeah. that dream shake and all that man, that man had just the footwork to to you know equalize it a little bit. Yeah. Little Moby, you don't got no shooters, bro. What you have no perimeter. You don't had you don't have no perimeter shot. Defense. Like everybody well, can't his, score. Everybody his, can't his squad, score. His squad. Everybody is, can't score inside though. His squad is fundamentals and in the mental game. <laughs> out there with Tim Duncan. <laughs> Tim Duncan. Fundamentals. <laughs> yeah, they they run in the mental game and running their gonna, mouth. We're gonna tire. We're gonna tire you out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you got Popovich, Popovich got to be the coach of that team. That's the only way. That's I mean, only Earl, way. Earl Squad don't even got to get all the way up the court. You know, he got stuff shooting from half court. Yeah. You know, you got KD. You got KD got perimeter shot. Hack and shack right off the whistle. <laughs> right off the whistle, you got a hack and shack. That's your only chance. Oh, all right, man. so if I, if I had to be the judge between these two squads, I'm going to go – I'm going to have to go with Earl Squad because – of the perimeter shooting, mm-hmm. so you got KD, y- y'all going you got off today's game, though. Steph. Yes, that's where it's evolved, bro. It's hard to do, and, and you got Kobe. So yeah. all three of them can shoot perimeter shots. Even Bron can can throw one up every once in a while. Your perimeter I got, shooters. I got Bron and MJ on my squad, and Tim Duncan. Nah. Tim Duncan. Y'all talking about Tim Duncan, perimeter like fundamental it has to be short a range. Shot. Yeah, perimeter is mid range and out. No, I'm talking more points. I want the three points versus the two. <laughs> you talking? You talking about banging inside? They don't got to bang inside. They could pull up from outside the outside the arc. So, but if we Tim need Duncan, to fundamental Tim backboard, 15, 16. I will say who's guarding Tim? Who's guarding Tim? That's a, like KD's guarding Tim. Like that's tough. That's tough. That's tough. Yeah, that's it's, gonna be, it's gonna be it's gonna be a long. Tim's guarding Steph's guarding Magic. Okay, but on the flip side, you gotta flip it too. And Steph wouldn't guard Magic. Who's guarding him, man? Who's Steph guarding be. on that squad? <laughs> <laughs> on the flip side, who's guarding Steph? Steph, Steph, has, Steph is going to have to guard uh, MJ. MJ he's going to have to guard, have to guard MJ. MJ. Cook, that's yeah. right. But MJ... For side, for side purposes, Kobe, Kobe had to guard Magic. Yeah. So you yeah, want Kobe Steph guarding MJ? <laughs> Bro, my squad is running through your squad. That's only hey, hey, but MJ got to come inside, you know, Shaq, <laughs> get out of here. And and you got to think, MJ, who's running those laps trying to catch Curry on the other side, running off double screens on the right. base. MJ ain't doing that running. You see, you see what happened with um with uh with AI, right? <laughs> AI and MJ, Steph got similar handles, so <laughs> that's one. It's gonna be a mix. It's gonna be a mix. NBA top shop. <laughs> Uh, you got to pick him up at half court, though. Yeah, that would be a good one. That would be a good one. All right. All right. Since y'all both had Bron, you got to pick what era, what which team was Bron playing on oh, for your team? I'm going HGH Bron. Miami days. You say HGH Bron. Yeah, no, that one really <laughs> had me blown because Lakers were, were still kind of in dynasty mode when he announced that. I was tight with LeBron. I was so mad about that move for so long. I just forgot. I forgave him when he went back to Cleveland and finally left Miami. Um, 
So you got to pick early Cleveland, later Cleveland. Yeah, or, earlier, later. Or I mean, later he won the title. So I'll go with that. But shoot, I'll take Braun right now. I'll take right now, Braun. <laughs> I will, honestly, I might take right now, Braun. The way he plays, because he's taking games over just because they have no other choice. I might take right now, Braun. This man's going off at 37. It's crazy. Experience, yeah, too. And it was a complete joke, by the way, if anyone from the Spring Hill Company family is listening. That's just a conspiracy theory that people have said, and I thought it was a joke. <laughs> yeah, we don't want no smoke because of Moby. No. Moby's words do not reflect those of Two Cent Sports, Two Cent FC. Uh, all right, well, all that's right. it. It's always good. Yeah, that's it. So, Earl, where can people find you? Where can people support what you got going on? Thank you again for joining the show. It's a pleasure, you know, to see your career blossom the way it has, and you know, you turning into a family man. Like, you know, I might, I might have to follow in your footsteps. Some way, someday, but until then, I'll let you let you carry that torch, you know? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. It's definitely a blessing. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Earl Edwards JR and on Twitter at Earl JR UCLA. Um, go ahead and give it a follow and uh, appreciate you guys having me on the show. It's great to connect. It's been a while, Mobes, and it's good to see you, L. Thanks for having me on. Uh, we'll definitely you. have to keep touch in the future, and I hope to be back on someday. No, yeah, most definitely. Sure. Yeah, we definitely gonna have to tap in. Uh, I yep. know L's gonna reach out to you. Uh, definitely gonna have to tap in with you. But uh, that's our show for this week. Uh, subscribe, rate, and review. It helps us get discovered. Follow us at Two Cents FC Show. Uh, we got we got a new marker now, so it confused me a little bit. But follow <laughs> us on the socials at Two Cents FC Show. Check out our merch at Two Cents Sports Shop. As you can see, L's rocking the hat. Spring and summer is approaching. Make sure you get you guys' gear. Um, and tweet us your comments on the show. Any topics you want me or L to discuss. You guys know, unfiltered thoughts on a weekly basis. No sugarcoating here. No political uh, answers here. We keep it nice and real. So hopefully you guys tune in. Unless you work for the league. But <laughs> I need to hear it over there. Until then, y'all. Peace out. All right. Peace out. All right.